the lead pastor. If this is your first time here, uh, I want to welcome you. We are thrilled that you have chosen to worship with us. And, uh, you know, when we come to church, it is a celebration uh, because it's not just Easter Sunday that we celebrate a resurrected Christ. It's every Sunday. And so uh, my hope and my goal is that as we gather together each and every week and as we sing songs and that it was true, that it would truly become a celebration of who Christ is, who he was, who he is in our lives uh, as the resurrected savior of the world. So uh, I am so glad that you're here. Uh, You know, the gospel tells a scandalous story in Luke chapter 15. And it's a story that's told not just to uh, give us a, a historical account of, a, of an event that happened in history, uh, but rather it's a story that Jesus tells to teach us about the way of Jesus. Uh, it's a story that he tells to teach us what the kingdom of God is like. And so I want to read that story to you today. It's found in Luke chapter 15, uh, starting with verse 11 and all the way to the end of the chapter. And so if you have your Bible with you, you can follow along. There should be a Bible somewhere in your neighborhood uh, there in the chair in the racks behind underneath the chairs, uh, or uh, you can follow along on the screen with me. Uh, But I want to read, as you follow along, Luke chapter 15, uh, verse 11 through the end of the chapter. It says this, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. And so he divided his property between them. And not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had had and set off for a distant country, And there he squandered his wealth on wild living. And after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. And so he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. And he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out, I will go back to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. By the way, sin is always against God and against someone else. It's always an offense that offends the father and offends someone else. Sin is never in isolation. He says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, but make me like the one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. You kind of get a feeling that this, uh, this prodigal son has practiced this speech before his father. But Oma, before he's finished with his speech, the father says to one of his servants, Quick, get, on, get the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine who was dead is alive again. He was lost and is now found. And so they began to celebrate. But meanwhile, the older son was in the field and he came near the house and he heard music and and dancing. And so he called one of the servants and he asked what was going on. And your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf and he has, has, because he has him back safe and sound. Now the older brother at this became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all of these years I have been slaving for you and I have never disobeyed your orders. You have never even given me a young goat that I could celebrate with my friends. 
But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you're always with me and everything that I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Now, this story is filled with some shocking images. Uh, It is truly a scandalous story. But the most shocking of the images that that is in this story is not, first of all, that the son is asking for his part of the inheritance before his father has passed away. That in itself is pretty bold, pretty scandalous, and pretty shocking. that That a son would go to his father before his father has passed away and say, may I now have half of my estate. That's pretty shocking, but it's not the most shocking image in the story. Nor is it that of this man eating or desiring to eat the slop out of the pig's trough. That's pretty shocking and scandalous. That's pretty desperate. As the, as the story says, he began to be in need. But that in itself is not the most shocking image that we come across. It's not even the party that they threw when this prodigal son or this lost son who had squandered everything his father gave him on wild living It's not even, the the most scandalous part is not even that they threw a party for him when he came home. The most scandalous image in this story is that of a man running. Now, in modern society, running is pretty popular, right? It's pretty cool to run and be in shape, or for most of us, pretend like we're in shape. Right? And so running is, is pretty cool. Now, the, if you have a smartphone, it doesn't matter what platform you have. You have an app that can track your run. Did you know that? If you're a runner, these, these apps will track your run. and It'll give you a GPS route, and then you can record how you felt that day. I felt awful. I was running, right? That's kind of how I feel. <laughs> Do I really need to, to record that? You know, never, never have I run and felt really great, okay? Maybe that one day back when I was in shape. But you know, I felt bad, and, and you can do all this. Now they have this thing where you can actually link these apps to the social networks, okay? So you link your running app with Facebook or Twitter. You go for a run, and it, uh, it updates your status that says you're on a run. Or it tweets, I'm running, right? And so then what happens is people can like your status, okay? I'm out for a run. Someone sees that on your Facebook page. They like it. And in real time, the app cheers you on. (laughs) Your friends can virtually and quite enthusiastically cheer you on as you're running. Now, I've only run maybe twice in the last four years. And so I, I haven't really had anybody cheer me on. Like, if you ever see a status on my Facebook page that I'm running, you better like it. Because I am looking for your feedback, all right? That's how it goes, okay? And so running is really popular. In fact, when the president runs, it's news. You with me? It's like the president is running. And so the media follows him and they're recording him. And we all say, what a great president. He's staying in shape. It's like, it's, you know, he's, it's really popular to stay in shape. But in ancient culture, the more senior, senior that you were, you couldn't be caught dead running because it was seen as, as a disgrace against you. 
it was seen as a loss of dignity for a, a, a senior man to run or even to walk fast. And so that's why in this story, the image of a father running is absolutely scandalous. Because this father, what, what do we see? We, we see that he has goats and a fattened calf, a, sandals, a ring on his finger, all of these things, all these things are signs of wealth. Now, we don't get the sense that this father is the richest man on the block, but it's pretty clear from the story that he's not exactly poor either. And so this man of wealth is caught running to his son who is coming home. And that, in ancient culture, is absolutely scandalous. And it's scandalous because... Well, it would be something like this. It would be like our president coming out to give a speech in his bathing suit. And we would say, what a disgrace. And that's precisely what this father did for his son after he had squandered all of his wealth. The idea is this, and the scandal comes from this. A father runs toward a son who has put a curse on him, brought disgrace to the family, and yet the father disgraces himself in order to offer grace and forgiveness to this son. Today I want to talk to you about forgiveness. And I want to to mention to you and help you to realize that true and authentic forgiveness is scandalous, it is dangerous, and it is shocking. And it seems to me that we need shocking stories like this. Shocking stories like the, run, the story of the running father. I like that title better, don't you? I'm, I'm not going to call it the lost son. I'm not going to call it the prodigal son. This is the story of the running father, right? And so we need stories like this because we have forgotten about forgiveness or at the very best we've trivialized it, right? We live in a culture where the overriding philosophy and morality of our day is, if it feels good, do it. That's the overriding philosophy in our culture. If it feels good, do it. And so many of us go about the week operating only on what feels good at the moment. Regardless of the damage that we leave in our wake, regardless of the consequences of our action, many of us will look back at events without regret, regardless of the damage that they've caused, saying something like, well, it was the right thing at the time, or it, was, it felt good while I was doing it. And it's because we're buying into this overarching morality that says, if it feels good, then do it. And listen to me, in this environment, there's nothing to forgive. Right? If, the, if the charge of the day is simply do what feels good, then there can be no reason for forgiveness. Did you do what feels good? Yes. Regardless of the wake, then there's no offense. And so we sort of live in this culture that if we find ourselves hurt, if we find ourselves offended, then we are taught to just kind of pack it away, to just get over it, Right? And we've, tri- we've trivialized forgiveness into getting over it. And so I want to talk to you today about powerful words from Jesus in the Lord's Prayer. We've been in a series in the Lord's Prayer for, for three weeks now. This is the fourth week. And what we're learning is that the Lord's Prayer, central to the Lord's Prayer, and one of the primary themes of this prayer is the kingdom of God. 
that the life of Christ and the prayer that he teaches us to pray are interlocked in, a, in, a, in an inseparable way. Uh, that the life of Christ, the prayer that he teaches us to pray, sort of overall has this theme of the kingdom of God and what it looks like. And he's teaching us to live out this kingdom in powerful, powerful ways. And so the, the line uh, in the prayer that says, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And I want to say to you today that forgiveness sits at the center of the kingdom of God. Of the kingdom that is coming through the life and the ministry of Jesus. Now in the New Testament, before Jesus enters the scene, John the Baptist proclaims a baptism for the forgiveness of sins. He's preparing people for the Messiah who would come and offer in reality what he is offering in baptism. Come and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. But they still had to go and do all the rites. They still had to go to the temple to get their sins forgiven. They still had to offer sacrifices to God in order to experience the forgiveness of sins. And so by John the Baptist coming and offering a a baptism of the forgiveness of sins, he's beginning to offer people a, a, a way of preparation for the Messiah that will offer them the real forgiveness of sins where the temple will no longer be necessary where the, the where the uh, uh, sacrifices will no longer be necessary but where, where forgiveness can come through Christ alone God himself begins to offer us forgiveness in Christ that's what John the Baptist is preparing people for and then we are told in the in the gospels that the, when when Jesus enters the story he begins to say to people again these scandalous words that says what your sins are forgiven what who do you think you are You can't say that. In order to have my sins forgiven, I've got to go and offer a sacrifice. In order to have my sins forgiven, I've got to go to the temple where they they bring it over me or they offer that to me through the priest and and all the right things. And yet here is Jesus with with no priestly qualifications saying to people directly, your sins are forgiven. Now the people that are upset are the... People are this, this group of people called the Pharisees. And the, the closest modern group to the Pharisees would be the, the pastors. I hate that. When you read the Gospels, Jesus is always mad at the pastors, right? The religious leaders. And they're saying, you know what, Jesus, you can't do this. And they're upset at him. Who do you think you are? And the answer was actually quite clear. Jesus doesn't see himself as a teacher alone. But Jesus sees himself as one who is bringing the kingdom about. He is making an announcement about something that is happening right now. He is essentially saying that the great liberation that all of you have been waiting for is finally come. We no longer need to experience forgiveness through the temple. We no longer need to simply anticipate forgiveness. But forgiveness, the real forgiveness, the forgiveness that comes from God is finally arrived. And it's arriving through the life and the ministry and the death and the resurrection of this one man, Jesus Christ. And so who? is he to say that your sins are forgiven he is the god of the universe he is the son of god he has the authority to offer 
the forgiveness of sins. And so he goes about with this great message of the kingdom of God is here. This new reality is breaking in. And part of this reality, central to this kingdom, is this idea that your sins are now forgiven, that you can live in victory in, through Christ. And so he goes about through the town and he says, there's a kingdom that's here and central to this kingdom is forgiveness. But now there is also ways in which you should live. So he proclaims the reality And then he says, in light of this reality, go and live this way. And chief among his things, uh, chief among his, his words of wisdom and his ways of living are, first, give your allegiance fully and only to the kingdom of God, to this very reality. Live in ways that are in line with this kingdom. Second of all, do, and get, gather together as the body of Christ, as kingdom people, in order to encourage one another, to build one another up, to hear from God and what he would have you to do. So hold your allegiance to this kingdom, gather together as a community, and then offer this forgiveness that I have offered you to one another and to others. He was saying not only is the forgiveness of sins real, but it is something that you should live out. And it's not just good advice. It's not just a better code of morality. It's a command from God. And it's a way of saying, if you believe that the kingdom of God is in fact already here, and that the forgiveness of sins is real, then out of the overflow of that, we will begin to offer that forgiveness to one another and to others. And so I don't know where you're at today on this this scope of forgiveness. There are some of you here today, maybe you were drugged here. Uh, Maybe you've been driving by several times for weeks and, and thought, you know, one day I need to stop by there. And today's the day. And you, you're, you're in a place in life where you're just exploring faith. You haven't yet come to know Christ. You haven't yet experienced his goodness or his forgiveness. And today you need to experience the forgiveness that God has for you. Just as Jesus says in the Gospels and says to you today, your sins are forgiven. My love is great. But some of you today... Have been, have been hurt, that there's an offense that has come against you this week, this year, or a long time ago. And you've been carrying the burden of unforgiveness in your heart, and you need to be set free from that unforgiveness. And so we're going to explore this together. Jesus essentially says that there ought to be a mark on your life that is that the the mark of your life ought to be that of forgiveness, that kingdom people wouldn't hold grudges. Kingdom people don't carry resentment for past hurts, but yet they offer up their offenders up to God in forgiveness. And to refuse to forgive is in effect saying, I don't really believe that the kingdom of God has arrived. I don't really think that the forgiveness of sins is real or has occurred. And therefore, to withhold forgiveness from someone else was also to say that the forgiveness that you yourself have have experienced is not real. Does that make sense? 
that the line in the Lord's Prayer says, forgive us as we also have forgiven our debtors. Forgive us our debts as we also go about forgiving our debtors. There's sort of this past tense uh, feel to it. There's also sort of this present tense feel to it, where as we are forgiven and experience the one-time and ongoing forgiveness of God in our own lives, that we then pass that along to others, a one-time and ongoing forgiveness to those who are, have offended us, those who have hurt us, those who have come against us in any way, sometimes in great ways. There is one event that has changed your life every, moving forward every day. It was such a great offense that your life is now marked by that offense in the past and you're holding it in unforgiveness. But for others of you, it's not that as much as it is sort of a death by paper cut right? Where there's, where there's been so many hurts, maybe just in general. For some of you, that's the church. And the church has hurt you and the people in the church. And it's been death by paper cuts because of the church. And so you've in effect said, I'm done with the church. And so it's not, it's not, it's not toward any one direct person as much as it is toward, toward a whole organization that says, I'm done with the church. And I don't want any part of it because I've been hurt so many times. And yet you know in your heart that to experience the community that God has for you, you need the community of God. And some of you right now, you're here today, but overall in the general statement of your life is that you are seeking and you are trying to live your life for God in isolation. And you're finding that it isn't working. And that you need that community. And some of you will need to be released from the unforgiveness and for the hurt and the resentment that you harbor against the church. And so I don't know what it is for you today, if it's that one-time hurt that has forever changed everything, or if it's death by paper cuts through an organization or just one person. Their sly comments, their glancing looks, whatever it is, there is forgiveness that needs to happen. And what I want to say to you today is that if we have experienced the love and the forgiveness of God, and if we pray this prayer in authenticity, then the prayer says, God, forgive me for all the ways that I have come against you, for all the ways that I have broken your perfect shalom in the world, for all the ways that I have not worked for the kingdom of God, but I have worked against the kingdom of God, for all the ways that I have slandered your name. God, may you forgive me. The overflow of that is that, God, would you also, I also forgive them. Forgive us our debts as we go about the work of forgiving our debtors. It's not just a higher code of morality. It's not just a suggestion that Jesus says that, you know, if you, if you kind of want to experience a greater level of victory in your life or if you want to, you know, do what's right, then you need to forgive. Jesus is essentially saying that if we refuse to forgive others, then we're cutting off the branch that we're standing on. And so the prayer includes this clause which commits the prayer to actions that back up the petition. Forgive us as we forgive others. Prayer and life are locked together. And it isn't saying that we have to forgive in order to earn God's forgiveness. That's not the point. But when we pray this prayer, we're proclaiming our loyalty to Jesus and his kingdom of which forgiveness is central. And each week we gather to celebrate, right? 
That's what I talked about right at the very beginning, that I hope that as we worship together and as we, uh, you know, the words of the song, sing it out, sing it out, freedom is here. I hope that you're really singing that out. You can't sing that song like, sing it out, sing it out, freedom is here. Come on now. Give me a break, right? You gotta, you've got to scream that thing, and I will not scream it and sing it for you all to demonstrate how you ought to be singing that song. But I can guarantee if I'm sitting right here, there is a good chance that JD heard me screaming that song, right? And so we need, we've come to celebrate what God is doing. And so each week we gather together to celebrate the tremendous forgiveness that has been offered to us, that has occurred in Christ on the cross. And while the Lord hung there, he took on every sin, every hurt, every offense, everything in need of forgiveness, and there he died. And paying the penalty of all that sin and all that offense and all that evil, right? Let's call it what it is. Sometimes our, sometimes our posture against those that have hurt us is to not really call it what it is. We just say, oh, they kind of messed up. But let's just be honest. It's evil, some of the offenses that you have experienced in your life. And naming it and calling it what it is is often a first step towards forgiveness. But Jesus takes on all this evil. He pays for it. And even while taking it on, he offers forgiveness to the ones who are hurting him. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing, he says. And then he defeats death through the resurrection. The ultimate act of forgiveness to the world for you and I. My prayer today is that many of you would be released from the prison of unforgiveness. And that many of you would come into contact or experience the forgiveness of God for the very first time. That is my prayer today. Now, the natural thing to do is to hold resentment against, in our heart against our offender, and yet holding them makes you feel like you have control over them, right? A lot of times when an offense comes against us and, and we've been hurt, if we, can, if we can capture that person in our mind and hold unforgiveness against them, it is in some way making us feel like that we have control over them or that they can't hurt us again or that we are, are uh, putting an offense against them through our unforgiveness. And so what I would say to you today is that forgiveness is setting a prisoner free and then realizing the prisoner was you. That by holding that offense against them, by putting this, them in sort of this jail of your mind and feeling like you're hurting them or cutting them off or giving them their due by putting this, them in this jail, what is happening is that it's not actually them that's in the jail. It's you. And unforgiveness sets the prisoner free or forgiveness sets the prisoner free. Now, it would be easy for me to just uh, kind of say, you know, go out and forgive. Go and do it. Come on, you can do it. And many of you will go home and try to do it. And, and, and not know what forgiveness looks like. Not really know what forgiveness is. And, and you may come back to church next week. You may not. But after trying all week to forgive them and not being able to, you will find yourself guilty. 
And so what I want to do is, is give you three things about forgiveness. And actually, I want to talk to you about what forgiveness is, is not. And by talking about what forgiveness is not, understand what forgiveness is. And these are, are just three things we could talk about. For, we could do a whole series on forgiveness. But I want to give you some tools. Rather than just say, now go out and forgive. Do what Jesus told you to. Come on, you can do a better job than that. I want to give you some tools and some tips. So if you want to write these down, you can. Uh, but the first one is, is that forgiveness is not the same as reconciliation. Forgiveness is not the same as reconciliation. Let's be honest. Your dad who hurt you. And I don't know how he hurt you, but he did. Your dad may never be sorry for the things that he did. You may never talk to your mom who left again. Right? Let's just be honest. Your mom left and you may never, ever talk to her again. You may not have the opportunity to reconcile with your offender because they've passed away. They're gone. And yet you still hold this unforgiveness in your heart. Let's also be honest. That person may not feel like they did anything wrong. And in those situations where they feel like they haven't done anything wrong, chances are you're feeling like you shouldn't hurt like the way that you do. That it shouldn't still bother you after all this time. And if I just had a little bit more faith, I'd get over this, right? And so in that statement, we've equaled faith to getting over it. And we've, we've said that, that in order to offer forgiveness, I just need greater amounts of faith. There's no better recipe for guilt than that. And so they may not feel like they've done anything wrong. And yet, even in these situations, let me encourage you today, that even in these situations, forgiveness is possible. Because, listen to this, forgiveness only takes one person. Reconciliation, on the other hand, where the two parties that, are, are, that have offended one another, that have hurt one another, that are in conflict or at odds with one another, if those two parties come together with repentant hearts and forgiving hearts and, and move together, then reconciliation can, in fact, happen. Reconciliation takes two people, but forgiveness only takes one. And my fear is that some of you are still holding on to unforgiveness because you feel like that other person has to reciprocate that forgiveness. Right? And some of you are trapped in a prison because that person has, has passed away, because that person shows no signs of wanting to reconciliate, of reconcile, right? They have no signs of wanting to reconcile. And so you hold yourself and you're stuck in this prison of unforgiveness, feeling like you can't forgive them unless they've offered forgiveness back to you. But let me encourage you today that through the power of the Holy Spirit and the truth of the gospel, we can forgive those who have trespassed against us, even without them ever knowing it. You can experience true and authentic forgiveness and the freedom that comes from that forgiveness as a result of that. Now, obviously, reconciliation is what we would desire, right? Obviously, it is in God's design 
and it is God's heart to reconcile, to redeem. And I pray that will happen. And if you haven't taken steps toward that, then you need to do that. You need to take steps toward that redemption and that reconciliation. But sometimes, let's just be honest, they're not having it. And many times that will come in the form of an ex-spouse, right? Some of you today, you, you're, you find yourself with a broken relationship and, and you did everything that you could to fix that relationship. You put all of your effort and all of your energy into reconciliation, into redemption of that relationship. You prayed that God would put the pieces back together and yet what you found in them is an unrepentant heart and not willing to reconcile. And so you're, you're stuck in unforgiveness and God wants to release you today by offering forgiveness and freedom through forgiveness. And so forgiveness and reconciliation are not the same thing. Forgiveness only takes one. Reconciliation takes two. Forgiveness, number two, forgiveness is not revenge. Forgiveness is not revenge. Now that may seem pretty obvious right at, right at the start, right? But some of you feel like that in order to forgive them, justice has to be served. That, that justice first and then forgiveness. And so you kind of have this diabolical plan that you're going to carry out on your offender to get them back for what they've done for justice. And then once you have your justice, you're going to forgive them. Others of you kind of have this sentence that is perfectly scripted in your mind that you wish you had the opportunity to say to your offender, or some of you have the perfectly scripted sentence that you wish your offender would say to them, that you hold them in unforgiveness until they say these words. And unless they say these words, then I'm not forgiving them. And so we kind of have these perfectly scripted things, this way of getting back to them. And some of you, once they say that sentence, if that were to ever happen, if they were to ever come to you and call you on the phone or say in person and then offer to you the perfectly scripted sentence that you have been waiting for, some of you have this perfectly scripted sentence back and you are waiting to just tell them off, right? And you're going to tell them off and then you're going to walk away and say, now I forgive them. You think justice comes first. But what, what, let me ask you a question. What happens after you tell them off? You're going to tell them off. What, what happens after that? You're going to go tell people how you told them off, aren't you? Man, I, man, I told that guy off. You know, I, I got him, right? That's what you guys are. What are you going to do after you tell them off? Forgiveness is not the same as revenge, and justice does not have to come before forgiveness. Because getting justice oftentimes doesn't make you feel any better. But sometimes we believe that if we're not taking revenge, we're kind of um, dismissing our case. And we're saying that what they did to us was okay. That if, if they don't get justice, then I am in essence saying that what they did to me was not evil, that it was okay, that it was no big deal. And so justice must be served. But Paul says, what Paul says is that when we don't take revenge, we're not dismissing our case. We're appealing our case to a higher court. Right? I love that. The Apostle Paul, man, that guy is brilliant. Brilliant. 
By offering forgiveness, you're not dismissing your case, but you're appealing to a higher court because God himself will be the judge. And you and I don't have to take revenge. We don't have to repay evil with more evil. God will bring the justice. And so that's why earlier in the message I talked about forgiveness as being this way of offering up our offenders to God, right? And we say, God, this person has offended me. They've perpetrated evil against me. And yet my heart says I want to take revenge before I forgive. My heart says I want to uh, go against them, right? Your Bible, you know, the, the word says eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. I'm going to go get them with all I got. Actually, the Old Testament command of eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth is a command of restraint because the law knew and God knew that the human heart does not want to go eye for an eye. It wants to equal the offense and then add to it. I see your offense and I raise you another offense. That's the nature of the human heart. And so in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, what we're taught is restraint, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And then Jesus comes in in Matthew chapter 5 and says, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, pray for your enemies. Forgiveness is not the same as revenge. We're appealing our case to a higher court so that God will bring justice. Now, I know that all of my illustrations come from technology and apps. And especially in this series, like every illustration has been an iPhone app, but stick with me for one more, all right? And then I promise to be more well-rounded after this, all right? But you guys know that I love the game Angry Birds. And, and I hope that all of you by now have played Angry Birds. It's available on a multitude of platforms and all this stuff. So it's a good game. And they have about 600 versions now. Uh, anyway, it's a great game. So the, the, if you don't know, if you live on Mars and don't know what Angry Birds is, let me explain it to you. These, the, the premise of the game is that these uh, pigs have stolen the birds' eggs and the birds are angry about it and they're going to try to get it back, right? And so the pigs have built these structures around themselves to protect them and the, the object of the game is to take these birds with all these different uh, abilities knock down the structure and kill the pigs. Yay, revenge, right? Have you ever noticed in the game that every time you shoot a bird that is getting revenge and kills a pig, the bird dies too? Have you noticed that? Let me tell you today that if you go out and try to get revenge, you may get your revenge, but in the process, you will die too. Now, may not, you may not die physically, but your heart will be dead as a result of the revenge. You never knew there was so much gospel truth in Angry Birds. <laughs> because I've used it to explain spiritual truths over and over and over again. It's a beautiful thing. That's how the Lord speaks to me. I got Jaden on my lap. We're playing Angry Birds together. And boom, the Holy Spirit shows up and I've got a sermon. It happens just like that. And I try to explain it to Jaden, and she says, I want some more water, right? I mean, she just doesn't get it, but it's all good. It's all good, okay? That girl is thirsty all the time, okay? Let me tell you, revenge brings death, and forgiveness is not the same as revenge. Forgiveness, number three, forgiveness is a portal to the power of God in your life. Forgiveness is a portal to the power of God in your life. For as long as we hold ourselves 
in the prison of unforgiveness. It will hinder the work and the activity of God in our lives. And so if you want to experience more of God, if you want to experience more of his power in your life, both in your life and through your life, and yet you hold on to unforgiveness, I would challenge you today to take the bold step of offering forgiveness to your offender and watch the power of God come unleashed in your life. Sometimes forgiveness is seen as weakness. And yet the gospel and the truth of, the word, of God's word is that forgiveness is not weakness. It is the very po- portal to the power of God. And so I want to encourage you today to either experience the forgiveness that God has for you or to offer the forgiveness against your offender. That is my prayer today, for forgiveness is central to the gospel. 